This is Audio QT, the podcast of QT Voices, the online magazine of the LGBTQ Studies Program at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you all for listening to Audio QT. I'm your host, Karma Chavez. And although queer studies has always had a lively place on campus, at least as far as I know, it was institutionalized uh, only uh, in 2017 with the founding of the LGBTQ studies program. Five years in and on the precipice of a leadership transition. On this episode, we're going to reflect on the past few years with my good friend, Professor Lisa Moore. Professor Moore is the Archibald A. Hill Regents Professor in American and English Literature, Professor of Women's and Gender Studies, and Director of the LGBTQ Studies Program here at UT, a position she's been in since 2019. She's stepping down at the end of the semester as the first director of the program to have served a full four-year term. And I've invited her to Audio QT today because I want to reflect with her on her time as director her, where she thinks UT is in regard to LGBTQ issues and what she thinks the future may hold. So, Professor Moore, welcome to Audio QT. Thank you so much, Karma. It's really uh, an honor to be here. Audio QT is my favorite feature of our magazine, QT Voices. Well, you know, I rather like it as well, but I think our <laughs> our work in general on QT Voices, I appreciate very much. But let's go back a few years before we get there. And tell me a little bit about what LGBTQ studies looked like on campus when you first arrived here in uh, 1991. Well, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't really look like much. There wasn't much that was visible, but I think it was sort of an important sign that um, when the English department advertised a feminist theory position, that uh, someone like me who had a, you know, queer studies dissertation. My dissertation was on love and sex between women in uh, 18th century novels. And uh, it was the first time I think that um, anyone in Koala or maybe at UT had ever been hired on the strength of their queer studies research. So for that to be part of the definition of what feminist theory could mean on this campus, I think was you know, the beginning of a uh, desire to try to grow that visibility. And I have to give a lot of credit to um, my slightly older colleague, Anne Svetkovich, who was in the English department um, at that time, hadn't uh, hadn't written her, her own first queer studies book, the, you know, blockbuster archives of feelings. Mm -hmm. um, but I think her interests and influence, even as an assistant professor in the English department, really shaped um, what they were looking for and who they ended up hiring. So I grabbed that brass ring and uh, started teaching um, intro to WGS classes and then uh, developed a new class in gay and lesbian literature and culture almost right away. So I would say there weren't really any queer studies classes until we developed gay and lesbian literature and culture as we called it back then. Now it's of course LGBTQ plus literature and culture. Um, there weren't really any queer studies classes on campus. There were queers, mm -hmm. um, some of whom were doing queer studies. Uh, and uh, there were professors who were teaching queer materials in their classes 
that weren't denominated queer studies classes overall. And Anne was certainly, um, you know, one of the most important of those. There were a lot of older faculty on campus who um, were very kind to me and ended up also being mentors for me. Bob Dawson in the French department was one. He was an 18th century studies scholar like me. Of course, he worked on French literature, but he had me and my girlfriend at the time over for dinner to his, you know, kooky um, uh, Hyde Park house that was just filled to the brim with antiques and old French manuscripts and was just kind of like a, an iconic, you know, uh, older gay man's, um, you know, closet of treasures. And uh, he was very out sort of socially and on campus. Um, his work just was not in, in um, queer studies or didn't really have anything to do with, mm-hmm. with queer studies. But, you know, he was important to me. And later, uh, when I came up for tenure, I found out that his presence on the P&T committee actually pretty much um, was responsible for my tenure case not being completely scuttled. Wow. Wow. So allies come in all forms and they always have, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was grateful. There was someone in the history department. There were, you know, there were a few people and I was always happy to, they, they really sought me out and tried to make me feel welcome. Um, but certainly from the time I got here, my friendship and colleagueship with Anne Svekovich was uh, what really allowed us both, I think, to push back against um, disciplinary norms and really start to uh, create space for queer studies. Yeah. And so I assume it was in the 90s that people like you and Anne started to talk about the possibility of institutionalizing LGBTQ studies, maybe just gay and lesbian studies at the time. What did those early conversations look like? Well, um, in my first year in the English department, I started, uh, yes, we called it gay and lesbian studies reading group, um, just because that was the kind of, um, you know, uh, informal um, academic community that I was used to from graduate school. And having just come from Cornell, where I'd gotten my PhD, um, it, uh, I had seen how that reading group had turned into um, a, a LGBTQ studies um, concentration in the English department that graduate students could get. And so, you know, I thought of it as both something I wanted to do for my own professional development and to meet people. And because there was a big cluster of queer graduate students who kind of had been waiting for someone to come direct their queer studies dissertations. These were people in English, but also in rhetoric and American studies. Um, So, um, so they were very um, important to populating, you know, those early uh, queer studies gatherings. Um, and I ended up as an assistant professor directing three or four dissertations of people who had finished all their coursework, but were trying to finish projects that were um, mostly in that case, well, not all, not completely, uh, queer studies projects of various descriptions, um, and just hadn't had anyone to work with or help them finish. So um, that was really, uh, you know, taught me a lot. Um for sure. And then when Gretchen Ritter was the director of the Center for Women's and Gender Studies, this was maybe, uh, you know, around the millennium. <laughs> um, 
she wanted to create uh, some research clusters to sort of um, elevate the intellectual profile of the um, of the uh, Center for Women's and Gender Studies. So one of the areas she wanted to concentrate on was um, by that time LGBTQ studies. Um, and of course, this was so 10 years had passed, English department had hired Neville Hode, theater and dance had hired Jill Dolan and Stacey Wolf. There were, uh, Omi Jones was here in the theater department. Um, there were just, a, there was a lot more uh, robust presence of queer mm-hmm. studies scholars on campus than there had been in 91. Um, and I think that's what Gretchen was picking up on. So, um, she established this research cluster, which I think Jill Dolan first chaired, and Anne chaired, and I chaired, and uh, Gloria Gonzalez Lopez chaired, and um, Hector Dominguez Ruvacaba chaired. Um, and over the years, you know, that became a great meeting place for um, for faculty and grad students interested in doing this work, and really for the first time allowed it to spread beyond the English department and even beyond COLA as we started working, especially with students in fine arts and communications. Mm-hmm. I love getting all that history uh, here for people <laughs> to, to, to know about because it's not something I didn't know a lot of that. I knew like generalities about that. So um, thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. So you took over after Anne left. So Anne Svektovich, of course, was the inaugural director of the program when it comes into fruition mm-hmm. in 2017. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Anne abandoned us and uh, you took over. Sob. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you were uh, a little reluctant to take over as director. Uh, are you glad you did? Oh, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. It really has been um, such a, an important experience for me intellectually um, personally, in terms of community. And I would say it really got me through, um, you know, the last years of the, uh, Trump presidency, COVID, you know, all of these terrible disasters, summer of 2020, uh, all of the uh, police violence, um, you know, it was a rough few years, but the fact that I was in community with, queer studies and feminist studies scholars and staff and students made going to work every day something that seemed to help. You know, it was mm-hmm. just like, wow, everything is going to hell around us. Uh, it, it seems very dark out there. And yet I'm going to show up uh, and be with a group of people who are trying to do something mm-hmm. to take care of each other, to, um, you know, ameliorate the worst of the violence, to acknowledge it, to study it, to theorize it, to um, um, create spaces for activism around it. Um, That was really, um, really fantastic. My reluctance just had to do with, um, I think a lot of professors feel this way. You kind of get into this game because you like to spend a lot of time alone reading, you know, especially (laughs) as an English professor. Yeah. And, you know, I would say I'm among the many um, academics who might be considered friendly introverts, you know, like I love (laughs) being with my people, having an intense conversation in a class or at a conference or whatever, and then spending most of my day alone, um, you know, 
just in reading, reading or writing or um, thinking. Um, so uh, even though I have always been involved in activism and I definitely consider academic leadership to be a potential site of activism, it can be, um, uh, it's something that, um, you know, I, I do feel takes a certain amount of um, getting up the guts to go and put on a public face every day in a, in a slightly different way than when you're um, a teaching professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot of us balance a sort of personal, uh, you know, uh, off-duty time with creative time, with research time, with a sense of, you know, commitment and, and responsibility to our academic communities. So my reluctance only had to do with that. Um, also, I wasn't 100% sure that, you know, there's so many talented queer studies scholars on this campus, especially scholars of of color. And, you know, I just thought, does it, this, you know, does the next director really need to be, you know, another older white scholar? Um, but in the end, I was convinced by uh, my friends <laughs> that, you know, uh, I could do some institution building that would um, make it appealing, uh, make it a job that was uh, a little bit more secure and less of a, um, uh, you know, less of a potential burden and more of a potential opportunity for the next director. So really from the beginning, I was committed to doing just a four-year term so that it wouldn't turn into a thing where, you know, the same person dominated that Mm -hmm. institutional space for a long time and kind of wore out their welcome. I wanted to make it a great job for the next person. And I, I, I hope that it will be. Well, I, I mean, I love that. I think there's uh, so much to be said for transitioning leadership and and for leadership to stay fresh. And we all know it can happen when it doesn't. So um, I think that's a ethical move. Uh, I say as I just started my second term as chair. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes sometimes there just isn't a, you know, sometimes that's the ethical move. And sure, I would say you know it's similar for you. You know, you're stepping in because you see that you're the person who can who can really do the institution building that's needed. Sure. And it has to be you right now. And that's what, you know, Luis Carcamo-Huichante said to me about being the the director of LGBTQ studies. Lisa, it has to be you. I was like, okay. Yeah. And I think that was absolutely the, I mean, that was my position too. And so I'm glad that you stepped in and I think we've had a, a great four years, but I'd love to hear from you what you think has been the greatest accomplishment or achievement of the last four years for the program. Uh, um, well, everything has been a collective accomplishment and achievement, of course. And so, you know, that goes without saying, but I want to say it. Um, I would say the things that I, um, hope have really secured the institutional viability of LGBTQ studies and, um, pulled in some resources that, uh, mean that, you know, there's some, ongoing programs and, um, and other things that someone now just needs to keep going instead of like pulling something out of your guts to start something new. Um, 
you know, you can do that, but not everything needs to be done that way anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the things that uh, I think are up and running well are, well, of course, we've got to start with QT Voices, because here we are on Audio QT. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, uh, we published our first uh, issue of our online magazine that Karma and I have been co-editing, um, actually in early 2020, just uh, just as lockdown was setting in. And at the time, it seemed like, wow, this is kind of good timing for an online magazine. But I think um, what has become apparent is that, you know, on a regular basis, quarterly basis, being able to uh, publish um, work that reflects the research and teaching that's going on in queer studies, both on the UT campus and in our broader networks, has made it really accessible, like through the whole lockdown period, but even beyond, you know, for our contributors, they're able to um, easily um, connect people to, uh, you know, relatively short public scholarship versions of their work. And I think that's been a benefit to um, everyone that's contributed, but it's also allowed us to show a snapshot of what we do that's kind of immediately visible because it, you know, it is a beautiful, um, uh, you know, online platform. It, you know, we do have video, we do have um, audio uh, as well as um, written pieces. Um, so I think it's just brought in the community in a way that, um, has been really fun and really gratifying and including, you know, reaching out to community artists off campus, artists and activists as contributors and then national, um, nationally known scholars, you know, as contributors has just, you know, built up those relationships and that's been really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been really fun. So QT voices uh, would be one thing. Uh, our LGBTQ studies internship program, um, when I came into uh, the position in spring of, of 19, it was a um, legislative year here in Texas. The uh, legislature meets um, every two years. And um, I reached out to a friend in the government department, Sean Terrio, who is one, you know, another one of these um, friends and peer mentors who's not a queer study scholar, but he is queer. And uh, he works on um, on uh, American politics, especially Congress. And I was just saying to him, you know, what can we do to connect with the terrible, uh, you know, to somehow push back against the terrible things that are going on in the legislature? And he suggested an internship program. And he was able to connect me with former students of his who were working in the legislature. Um, so our first interns, um, Grayson Hunt was the um, program coordinator at that time, the staff support for the program. And Grayson and I set up this program and our first interns were placed at the um, legislature. Um, but the next semester we were placing interns in a lot of other uh, uh, spaces as well, like Equality Texas, Ground Floor Theater, The Kind Clinic, um, other LGBTQ serving um, off-campus entities. Um, and that too has really grown our community. It's been really popular with students and we were even able to sustain it during lockdown um, because since everything went virtual, all those workplaces um, were able to accommodate virtual um, 
virtual internships as well. So I think that's been a big boost to our um, undergraduate programming. Yeah, I love hearing about that. I mean, I think that those are major accomplishments and will have a long lasting effect um, on the program and everyone connected to it. So, uh, you know, thank you very much for your leadership in in those (laughs) ways. And um, I I guess, you know, we're facing another legislative uh, session and um, this has already been a a challenging last four years. I'm not going to ask you what you think your greatest challenge was because I think there were so many, um, you know, but as we look forward, I, I guess, what are you most concerned about, whether it's uh, with the legislative session or the political milieu more broadly? And also, do you see any opportunities ahead? Yeah, I mean, you have to see opportunities. I will say that um, Dobbs, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, has been such a blow to my uh, sort of innate sense of institutional optimism, which has carried me a long way, you know. Um, it's just, that's, you know, losing access to reproductive freedom is seems like such a body blow. Um, mm-hmm. And for it to happen after 40, almost 50 years, um, to have a right taken away that, um, you know, was fought for and seemed like progress and an advance. And although we've been fighting to secure reproductive freedom all those years, um, I don't know, it's just such a brutal backwards step. So of course, you know, I'm concerned about the now seemingly fragile protections we have in place for trans people uh, and uh, LGBTQ people more broadly. I'm concerned about Obergefell, you know, not that I'm a big, uh, you know, I'm a lesbian Avengers queer. So it's not that I'm a big proponent of marriage, but it has provided a lot of legal protections and, um, and, uh, solved a lot of um, problems of access to resources for many queer people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be a big loss. Um, I think, you know, um, I, I think the whole politicization of the Supreme Court, which, you know, has been a place where Mm -hmm. minority rights have been secured historically, you know, since, since at least the middle of the 20th century, um, I'm left feeling like I'm not sure what the way forward is. Mm -hmm. I will say, you know, I certainly big picture. Um, I will say that I continue to have faith in communities and in um, on the ground resistance in the form of living our biggest queer lives in solidarity with other people that are, um, you know, affected by um, the exact same outcomes. I, I'm you know, really scared about the outcome of the affirmative action decision that the Supreme Court is hearing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is, if affirmative, if, if universities are no longer allowed to consider race at all in admissions, not even as part of a holistic assessment of applications, uh, I think that's gonna be 
uh, pretty untenable on a, a merely bureaucratic level and is going to profoundly whiten our campuses in a way that is terrifying yeah. uh, to contemplate. Um, but one thing that this position has gifted me with is a whole new um, network of people across campus who are fighting really hard and with a lot more skill and um, expertise and intelligence um, and know-how than I have to push back against this stuff. I would very much include you in that group. Um, So I just think my job is going to be to continue to show up for those coalitions and to put my shoulder to the wheel whatever way I can. And I, you know, we may have to live through a really, well, we are living through a really shitty time in history, but you know what? A lot of people have done that before us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that sort of quasi uh, hopeful, real (laughs) note, I think is, (laughs) you know, probably a good place for us to to wind down our conversation. And so I just want to, you know, take a moment to thank you for your leadership of the the program. And I want to wish you the best on this next semester away from all of us getting some work done. (laughs) Thank you, Karma. And thank you for all your support and creativity that you've you have just poured into this program uh, also over the last four years. You've, you've definitely been a key player. Hey, well, it takes a village to raise a program. So it does. <laughs> happy to be there. So uh, again, um, our guest today uh, is Lisa Moore, who is the outgoing director of the LGBTQ studies program. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Karma. And thank you all so much for listening to uh, Audio QT. I'm your host, Karma Chavez. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.